Today on Pilot's Discretion, it's a special year-end episode with producer and fellow podcast host Rob Ryder. We talk about our favorite episodes of the year, lessons learned from our guests, and what podcasts we listen to. Pilot's Discretion starts right now. Welcome, Pilots. I'm your host, John Zimmerman of Sporties, and thanks for listening to Pilot's Discretion. Both today and across all 67 episodes we have released over the last two and a half years. We had no idea when we launched Pilot's Discretion that it would become one of the top five aviation podcasts, but that's exactly what happened. So thank you for your support. Also, thank you for your emails, your reviews, and your guest ideas. Remember, you can visit sporties.com podcast to hear every episode we've recorded, and we welcome your comments at podcast at sporties.com. Today's episode is a little different as I'm sitting down in the studio with the man behind the curtain, Rob Ryder. He is many things, air show announcer, pilot, aircraft owner, host of Sporty's Pilot Training Courses, and an Emmy Award winner, but he is also who makes the magic happen for this podcast as audio engineer, producer, and my all-around partner in crime. When Rob isn't working on our podcast here at Sporty's, he is the host of Flying Magazine's very popular, I Learned About Flying From That podcast. Today, we thought we'd reflect on the last year of podcast episodes and take you behind the scenes a little bit. So I will probably talk more in this episode than the last 10 combined. But rest assured that next time we will be back to our usual interview format. So Rob, welcome to the other side of the microphone at Pilot's Discretion. It's good to be here, John. It is sort of strange because I hear you as we do each and every episode, but I seldom get to see you unless I'm out at Sporties and stopping in at the office to say hello, but well, good we'll to see, see if, you. We'll see if we can put each other on the spot here today. I hope not. <laughs> oh, boy. I tell you what, let me start. Let me just ask you, because when this started, I thought, ah, oh, Fast Five is what we called it at the beginning, and now it's pilot's discretion, perfect change. What is it all about for you, and, and, and why? Why did you and Sporties decide to do a podcast? That's the biggest question because anybody can do one. The question is, should everybody do a podcast? And the answer is no, but why Why you guys? Yeah, great question because it does seem like everybody's doing a podcast. That honestly made us hesitate for a long time. We've probably talked about doing a podcast for 10 years and held really? off for a long time because we didn't just want to do another one. We wanted to do something different, have a perspective. And so we held out for a while until we felt like we had the right format. Uh, and for us, it was not to do another aviation news or accident report podcast. There's a lot of those out there, many of them very good, but the world did not need another one of those. So we didn't want to do that. For me personally, what got me interested is the people in aviation. You know, I've said on this podcast before, and I, I think it's such a great line. Paul Pobrezny always said about Oshkosh, come for the airplanes, stay for the people. Exactly. And I think anybody in aviation has felt that, that aviation is such an interesting mix of people. And I really wanted to show that off, basically introduce some of the interesting people in the industry and share some of the lessons learned. There's so much wisdom in aviation that I just felt like, there is a real opportunity to share that. Sporties, we've been around 60 plus years. We've met a lot of interesting people. And so that was really how we came at this, was to introduce interesting aviation people and share their lessons. And part of that to me is not being afraid to, you know, be a little highbrow, ask the hard questions. This is not just, how are you? This is really tackling some interesting topics, whether it's safety 
or the industry and, and, and pinning people down a little bit, not in a gotcha way, but just in a, in a really interesting way of let's talk about the topics that are important to pilots. It is important. And as you have done that, you have picked some very, very interesting guests that I probably would not even know about. How do you find them? How do you pick a guest? That's the whole point to me is the guest. You know, the, the podcast is the guest, at least in this format. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time thinking about that. A lot of people at Sporties do. We're always batting around ideas. To me, it's about an interesting person with a diverse background. I, one of the most enjoyable parts for me is introducing a very impressive, very unique pilot to a wider audience who maybe most pilots have never heard of. And we've had lots of those on the, on the show over the years. People who are a pilot, but do lots of other interesting things in life. So we've For had, instance. Yeah, so we've had big names, you know, Jack Pelton, EAA, Bruce Landsberg, NTSB. These are names that lots of pilots know. But I think it's interesting to introduce names like Jim Fallows or Patrick Shavanek, who we recently had on. These are people who are known outside of aviation. Who he was are, an, Patrick's an economist. Yeah, we have... You know, he's well-known as an economist. Jim Fowle is well-known as a writer, but they're also pilots. And to me, people like that where maybe aviation isn't their full-time job, but it influences who they are and how they approach life, I think that makes very interesting guests. And so it's not just a one-dimensional, I'm a pilot, this is what I do. I think it's great to try to understand the whole person because that is part of, again, what makes aviation so interesting. As I have listened to the episodes as they come to me from you, you have obviously done a significant significant amount of research on those pilots. You spend a lot of time reading. I do. And to me, that's one of the fun parts. Uh, it, it's not homework because it's fun to learn about these people. But that's one of my, my two rules. And, and we'll talk about the podcast you know, industry a little bit later. But my two rules are do your homework and shut up as a host. Uh, and, and the homework part is so important to me because if you're going to have someone on your show, you should really know who they are and what they're all about. If they've written a book, read the book. If they've done videos, watch their videos. Uh, I think you're doing your, your listeners a disservice if you don't do that. But that process to me is so fun. Getting to learn from these people, getting to understand who they are, just take in different perspectives uh, has been an awful lot of fun. So yeah, the, re the research is maybe the best part of it. Every once in a while, a guest is surprised. They'll say, wow, I wrote that 20 years ago. Where did you find that? <laughs> well, I like to know my guests. So, Who are some of your favorites? We've had a lot of good ones. Um, we've had a lot of good ones. I, I really enjoyed Karen Kalashek. She's at uh, National Association of Flight Instructors. Uh, name some people might know, but her resume is maybe the most interesting and diverse I've ever seen. She's, I mean, I can't even remember it all. She's a scuba diver. She's a black belt. She took a wing walking class. She's obviously a very accomplished pilot. Uh, she was great. I thought Steve Thorne was great. Flight Chops. We had him here in your studio. Yeah, what a guy. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people maybe feel like they knew him from YouTube, and you do to a certain extent, but I thought it was great to kind of see the other side of him. I thought he opened up and really shared some interesting thoughts on the challenge that is making making films sometimes. He talked about how many hours it takes because he's got six or seven cameras, I believe, mm -hmm. mounted on the airplanes and how he debriefs every flight as well and using the video to do that. But that's a full-time job for him. It's a full-time job. It's hard work. I think people don't get that. And you know this with all the work you do with us on video, but the time that goes in to make 30 minutes of good video is 
tremendous. And I thought Steve did a great job of really revealing what that's all about. I know what it takes to do an I Laughed episode. And for me, to book the guest, to pre-interview, to do the interview, to edit it, produce it, and get it ready, I spend at least eight hours mm -hmm. to get a 30 or 35-minute episode sound only. I would not even want to begin to touch video because, because it's not just doubled because it's picture. It's quadrupled, easily quadrupled. And if you get a bunch of cameras and you have to try to tell the story and use those cameras to do it, a single flight chops episode, I would be frightened if Steve told me how many hours mm -hmm. it actually took to get one episode of flight chops. Yeah. And that's where that podcast is great to get really the other side of it. But let me turn around on you because you host a podcast, obviously. So yep. what do you look for in a guest or what makes a good podcast guest for you? Well, it started for me when Flying Magazine came to me in May of 2020. Lisa DeFries said, we're interested in doing this. Are you interested in doing this? And I said, yes, for, a, for one big reason. Number one, we can tell stories in a way in the pilot's own words that can't be told just in an 800-word article. So we can take the deep dive. So the guest, the guest list for my first, gosh, most of the first year came from previous submitters or columnists, guest columnists from the magazine. But then as we went on, I started figuring, I bet you there are some people who have some stories who haven't submitted it to, to the magazine. And now a bulk of what I'm doing comes from those who have reached out to me directly from my solicitations to get an episode. So the stories that they would tell, they got to be compelling for one. And if it's a story of somebody who has gotten into a really dicey situation, a life and death situation, that's a no-brainer. Some of the others that are maybe less, not less compelling, but less deadly in their content are people who still have lessons that are significant in, what, in which they learned. When I had you on as a guest talking about your helicopter situation where you had to deviate and you're thinking, I can always auto-rotate, decision-making, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Michael Goulian had a two-story episode, one where he had a gear problem in a 182 and was given a block of altitude to sort it out, sorted it out great. But the other one was he was really stupid, and he said so himself, coming home in a pits with a battery-powered radio, not a lot of gas, got headed back from New Jersey, he had to get back to Massachusetts and got over an undercast and couldn't find a hole. That's dangerous. And there were some other guys. They couldn't be talking to everybody, limited gas. And if he found a hole, what would be at the bottom of the hole? Because he didn't know exactly where he was. This was the days before the Magenta Line. So the guests have stories who are guys who are or ladies who are transparent enough to tell their stories. Another one was Christine Mortine from Columbus. Flight instructor in a 185 took off out of OSU to go up to up to Lake Erie and had an engine failure at 8 something in the morning and she was underneath some of the Columbus class C and she couldn't go any higher and because it was crowded and she couldn't put it down on a freeway because it was rush hour. Mm -hmm. And she landed in trees and 
fortunately walked away. She shouldn't have walked away from that. She should have perished in that. And I learned about it a few days after it happened, and I didn't have her on the, on the show until two years later when some of the dust had cleared and she was ready to talk about wow. it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the same thing. That's the connective piece between the podcast you do and the one we do here at Sporties, I feel like, is sharing those lessons. There's the old line that you'll never live long enough to make all the mistakes and learn from them. I think all pilots get that. And so what we're trying to do is encapsulate those lessons and share them. What's the line? A wise man or woman, in this case, learns from experience. A wiser man or woman learns from the experience of others. Absolutely. So I have a quiz for you. Can you guess... Oh the most popular episodes of 2023 for Pilot's Discretion. Oh, no, I don't have a clue. Well, you I, tell me. I have done the homework. And okay. somewhat surprising, uh, the most popular one was with Steve Green, a retired airline captain and author who wrote a book uh, titled Why Airplane Accidents Are Not Just Stories. This was, I love this episode. Uh, this is a classic Pilot's Discretion episode to me because I've known Steve for a while. He's written for Airfax, uh, which I uh, work on as well. And Steve's an incredibly thoughtful guy, lots of experience, but most pilots don't know. I would venture to say 99.9% .9 of pilots discretion listeners don't know Steve Green, but he has so much wisdom to share. And so I was thrilled to get him on and talk about his new book and talk about his incredible you know, thoughts on safety and his story. And so I was really excited that that ended up somehow becoming our most popular one last year. Um, and that's from both Apple and Spotify yeah. that, that got top ratings? Yeah. Uh, wow. Second Second place was Craig Fuller, uh, who <laughs> owns Flying Magazine now. That was a great episode beginning of the year about why GA is experiencing a renaissance, which was kind of a nice positive story for once, glass half full about the little mini GA boom that's going on now. And then the third most popular this year was with Ed Wishmeyer, another name that probably most listeners don't know, talking about why, in his opinion, angle of attack is overrated. That's always a hot button topic, so maybe not surprising. But I think that's great that, you know, three most popular episodes, an interesting variety of people uh, and lessons learned. What, what about your most underrated guest? Who might that have been? Yeah, lots of, lots of underrated guests probably. Um, I thought Bill Ayer was great. Bill's the retired CEO of Alaska Airlines, but also Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, also a GA pilot, really interesting guy, really thoughtful, not just a not just a business person. Um, I thought he had lots of great lessons for flying, for business, for life. I just thought he was a very thoughtful person. That's a great one. As I recall, he talked about how important his employees are and mm -hmm. the relationship the employees have. If they're happy with what they're doing, the guests mm -hmm. who get on those Alaska Airlines flights will also be happy. Yeah, that's a great episode. If you haven't listened to that, I'd say go back to that. Uh, I thought Dan Johnson was also great, talking about the new Mosaic rule. Dan Johnson, who's had his own website for a while, now part of the Flying Magazine group, he knows more about light sport aircraft than anybody alive, I'm convinced. He has flown them all. Uh, he's just, and he's, and he's passionate. He's so enthusiastic about that part of the business that it's great to have someone who's both knowledgeable and passionate. And with all the exciting stuff with the new mosaic rule, and we may get LSAs that are higher weight, that are more powerful, have better performance. Uh, he was also excellent. Uh, so those are two that come to mind for me. 
with all I'm doing with announcing air shows and doing the audiobook narration and other voiceover work that I do, plus doing I Laughed and Pilot's Discretion, they tend to run together. Sure. And sadly, that they cloud, it clouds for me. I have to move on to the next thing. But as I listen, there is never an episode of your podcast or mine that I don't learn some little gem that I can take with me. It's like when I go through IPC. My last IPC was with Ken Reader, and he knew I knew how to fly approaches. He knew how I, I knew how to hold and to operate my equipment in the airplane that he helped design for me. But but what he gave me was when you are given an approach and a clearance, the controller wants to hear that I read back the proper altitude, the proper heading, and that I am cleared for the approach and my call sign. That's a little thing. I remember doing some instruction with Brett Kobe. And we were actually in a 182, and he just reminded me, watch your speed. Don't get too slow on your downwind. And that's, that's a little gem of a something, just a sentence from him that I carry and I pay a great deal more attention to that I keep my speed up. And those are the kind of gems that pilot's discretion can give to people. Yeah, to me, the biggest lesson, if you think about overarching lesson, is just to be open to learning those lessons. Uh, I think the mindset is a key piece. I, I was looking, preparing for this episode, looking back at all the episodes, all the guests we've had, trying to think, what have we learned from this? Because we've talked to 66 pilots with interesting experience. And to me, the biggest lesson is just how valuable the community of pilots is. Be willing and open to learn from others. We've heard that with, from lots of guests on this show. But be willing to learn from other guests. There's so much out there that if you're not learning from other pilots, you're really missing out on a great part of it. Are you aware of any overarching lessons from pilots' discretion that you have taken back after over 60 pilots who have shared their stories? There's a lot. I, I guess the biggest one for me would be the mindset and how you approach flying. Lots of guests have talked about this. Robert Sumwall, Don Wyckoff on our last one talking about professionalism. To me, it comes down to not forgetting to think. It's easy to become robotic as a pilot and just follow the checklist and follow the rules, but that's not enough. And at the end of the day, the autopilot can fly better than you can anyway. <laughs> So your role in the left seat is to use your brain and to think. So to me, a lot of it is thinking about, you know, confirmation bias and things like that. The weather looks good. Does it really? Or did you just want to believe that? You know, oh, this approach will work out fine. We're 10 knots fast, but it'll work out fine. Will it really? Or is that just what you want to believe? And it's just that constant, almost restlessness of the mind that always be evaluating yourself as a pilot, always be really ruthless about, is this flight going the way I planned? Because I think that's probably the main key. Probably supporting that is habits. You hear that from a lot of guests. I think there's a lot of truth in that, that we all we repeatedly do, and that's never more true than for pilots. And so think about the habits you have, whether it's when I put the gear down in a retractable airplane, how much fuel is my minimum, how I do my weather briefing, do I obey sterile cockpit rules? Little habits like that have a way of stacking up. And I think your habits, in a lot of cases, define who you are as a pilot. It's not about the fancy footwork. It's not about being the ace. It's about the, the little things you do every day as a pilot. And so those two, to me, 
sort of meshed together in basically an approach to flying that I take it seriously. I think critically about what I'm doing and I try to stack the deck in my favor. What kind of debriefing do you do? Because we've heard on Pilot's Discretion and on ILAFT, guys talking about spending a great deal of time in the debrief of their own flying and not just the briefing. Yeah, I think it's one of the most underrated things in flying. We've talked about this. You can tell it's close to my heart. I've, I've, we talked to Steve Thorne about this. We've start, talked to other people. I think, again, the main thing there is an attitude, an attitude of self-reflection, being being willing to be self-critical, even if it's just yourself. but making some time that after the airplane's put away, think about, to me, I always think, what could I have done better? I know there's at least one thing, usually four or five things. What is at least one thing that could have gone better on that flight? To me, that is the great joy of flying. That's the challenge of it. You're never done. There is no perfect flight. So there's always a chance to go out the next time and be better. And to me, if you embrace that, that's what makes flying fun. That's what keeps it from being repetitive or boring. And so to me, a big part of that's the debrief. Land after flight, think, how was that overall? But what could I have done better? Could be something little. Could be it was perfectly safe, but I could have made it more comfortable for the passenger in the right seat. I have sat in on Thunderbirds and Blue Angels debriefs, and they are incredibly detailed. That It starts with the, the time just before the actual debrief starts with the pilots coming in and they have developed an ability to remember every little thing they did wrong on the flight, whether it's a degree heading off or it's 10 feet high or low or speeds that were off and they, they write those down. And then once the debrief starts, the first thing that goes around each of the pilots gets to confess his or her mistakes. And they end with, glad to be here. Mm -hmm. That's how the blues ended. And then they will look at the video and they look at the walk down to see if they're in step or the, they, they are so precise that they will look at frame by frame to see that the salute and the walk down is together. And that sort of thing is, is an example to me that I can, I can debrief in generalities, but they debrief stuff that because they're flying so close together, because the tolerances are so tight, they have to practice not, they don't, they don't practice makes perfect, they practice perfection that will make perfect. And they're never perfect. Mm -hmm. They're always chasing after that, the perfection that does not exist in an ever-changing environment with winds changing, with temperatures changing, with airplanes that may act up, and they have outs for everything. They know exactly what's going to happen if number one has a problem, number two, three, four, five, or six has a problem. They know how to adjust, and they take 120 training flights every year before they take that show on the road. Same with the Thunderbirds. They debrief they brief up carefully, but they debrief the same way, really super detailed. Once again, a lot to learn for GA pilots. Learn the lessons from wherever it is in aviation and apply those to the way we fly. Oh, yeah. Rob, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the world of podcasting. Introducing the first premium apparel brand made for pilots and aviation enthusiasts. AeroWear combines modern performance fabrics with tasteful aviation styling, so you can show your love of airplanes whether you're at the office, on the golf course, or in the cockpit. Thoughtful details like UPF 30 sun protection 
and hidden sunglasses holders are perfect for active lifestyles. Visit aeroware.co to shop the complete selection of golf shirts, button-down shirts, hats, and more. That's aeroware.co. Now, back to pilot's discretion. We are back with Rob Ryder, who, as I mentioned, is also a podcast host in addition to a producer. So, Rob, let's talk a little bit about the business and world of podcasting in general. You are a master when it comes to the audio part of this. People may not realize it. We don't just get on a Zoom call and hit record. We do a whole lot more than that. Try to be audio snobs. I guess first tell us why that's important and then tell us some of the things you've learned about how to get better audio. Well, I have been in one of my careers an audio company owner. I used to own about 60 different microphones. I still have about 30 of them but only about four of them get used and they are good microphones. They're not super expensive. A couple of them are expensive, but the microphones that you and I are using here only cost about 300 bucks a pop. That's not a lot of money, especially what has happened in the last couple of years with good USB mics coming into, into, into play and to make the quality better. But it is more than the microphone, the room, the space in which we record. And I have watched and listened to your audio get so good that I've said to you, don't change anything. And you set up an inexpensive microphone, mm-hmm. right? How much does the microphone 120 cost? bucks or something. 120 yeah. bucks. But you have set up your space in such a way that you can't tell if it's a $3,000 mic or a $120 mic. So, but at the overriding thing is that space. That's, you got to get good space and you got to get number two, good mic placement. You and I are sitting a fist and a thumb away from these microphones and we are talking under them. Mm -hmm. They're pointed at our mouths, but we're talking under them so we don't get plosives. So it doesn't sound amateurish. Mm I think the tastes of people have changed over the years and they are demanding or expecting better audio than they used to get. And the technology has changed for us that I can take people now who are in less than ideal situations and apply some plug-in magic, if you will, to get the sound so that it sounds like those your guests are sitting next to you in the studio. And that sort of intimacy, whether or not the listener can define it, it's more felt than telt. And that sort of intimacy and closeness makes the conversation and the podcast better, I think. I agree 100%. I've I've had a great education in this from you, that there's tons of incredible technology now that can do great things in editing but it really begins with the setup. This is like photographers talk about, you know, amateurs talk about the gear, pros talk about the setup for the shot. It's the same thing. And it's, if you, the light it's the light for the photographer. Exactly. It's the light for us. It's the audio. It's the, it's the room. It's the room set up and it's the mic placement. And that's been uh, an amazing education for me as you've taught me how to do better podcasts. We're sitting in a room that is a 13 by 17 foot room that has some treatment, but there's still a lot of drywall. But I have probably a thousand dollars 
worth of bass traps and other absorptive materials in here so that it sounds like we're on mic, not in some hallway mm -hmm. or some stairwell in a hotel. Well, for me, the, the start to a good podcast is the audio. That's the base. You've got to be there. And then one of the most important things I think about as a host, I mentioned earlier my rules, do your homework and shut up. We talked about the homework. The shut up part to me, I'm certainly not perfect at, but I think is something that most podcast hosts should think about more often. Oh, I don't think you interrupt your guests at all. I think you're very, very careful as to when your spot is to talk. And for me, I probably get more in a conversation with my guests than you do because you're allowing your guests to tell their, to lecture basically. So you may go two, three, four minutes where the guest is responding to your question in a complete way and you're waiting for the next thing to either amplify or go down a rabbit trail with that question or go on to the next topic. Yeah, to me, that's the key for a host. If you're really well prepared, it's all about writing good questions and knowing where to ask and then letting the guest talk because the show is about putting the spotlight on the guest and then knowing what's interesting and then when have we exhausted that topic. And again, that's always a balance. Nobody's perfect at that. But that's the goal of a, of a host to me is to keep that conversation right at the moment we've got maximum information out of that topic. We're moving on to the next. So and the rule that you have in terms of where you format the show when you take your ad break, your commercial break, and then you move on to the the ready-to-copy section. And I think that's something that is really fun because that way you depart from what you have chosen for them as their lecture. You give them stuff that they're not expecting in many cases. Well, I like to learn the whole person. Again, it gets back to the interesting, diverse people we have on the show. I like to go more than just the aviation, the, the obvious topics, and that's where that's fun. It also keeps it fast-paced to me. I mean, one of the things I have no patience for in podcasts is wasting time. And so <laughs> you've heard me say that it's our goal in this podcast is all killer, no filler, like they used to say about great records. <laughs> Because what's what's the other one that Tom Petty said? Uh, I think Tom Petty famously said, "Don't bore us, get to the chorus." Yeah, and, let's have the hook in the song, yeah, right? So uh, I think there's a lot to learn there. That and and it's different. People like different podcasts. Uh, for me, I think our listeners are busy, and we that's why we shoot for 35, 40 minutes. We're not going to ever do a two hour podcast. We're going to cut ourselves off here before long because we'll talk all day. But I think there's something to respecting your listeners' time. We try to get right into it. We try to move fast. We try to finish with that ready to copy. Forgive me, but I don't really give a damn what somebody had for dinner last week. Or I've got – my time is valuable. And sadly, there are a lot of podcasts out there that spend a lot of time talking about stuff that's not germane to the topic – there is a voice actor here in the Cincinnati area by the name of Jennifer Jill Araya, and she has a podcast called Crafting Audiobooks. She is a double award winner in the audiobook narration business. She is exceptionally talented, but she and her co-host say, we're going to get into this, we're going to go deep, and we're going to go deep quick. So they, they'll say, hello, how you doing? I'm great. Our guest today is, and bam, right to the guest, right to the questions, and then they end it. Like you end Pilot's discretion with, 
what's your last flight? What are you flying? Where are you going? They ask a question that is the same that the guest and each of the co-hosts get to answer that same question. So it's a format that is predictable. And so the listener knows and can feel comfortable within that format. They know where it's going. They that familiarity is very, very important. So you follow a format, I follow a format, they follow a format. Some There are some podcasts that can get away with just talking, but they are very, very few. They really are. Depends, depends on the host if you can get away with that. So I'm going to violate some of our rules here because this <laughs> is a special year-end episode and we get to do that. Any podcast you listen to, obviously, besides I Learned About Flying from That and Pilot's Discretion, the two greatest podcasts in the world, <laughs> are there any others that you listen to uh, as a podcast geek that uh, you particularly like? I In and out of some. The Wall Street Journal had a, had a series called Bad Bets on some companies that did some bad stuff. Uh, the Enron scandal. Mm-hmm. They did a they did a series on that and, and a couple of others. I sometimes listen to the New York Times Daily. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Uh, what's interesting though, with on those podcasts and the others that I listen to, listen to, they are extremely highly produced with staffs of seven or eight or nine or ten or more people to get those podcasts done. We do it on a shoestring and. And we're both in the top 1% of podcasts in the country. Yeah. Just must be the natural talent, Rob. Must be just you and me. Of course, that 1%, we're at the bottom of the 1%. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think the New York Times is going to buy us out anytime soon. No. But at least we're sponsored. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm the same. I go in and out. Uh, There's some I listen to regularly, but I like to go all over the place. I listen to... uh, I'm a bit of a history fan. I listen to The Rest is History, a couple of uh, British historians. They're great. Ooh, I, great. Like to, I like to listen to Revisionist That's History, a good one. Yep. Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. I'm a music fan and, and Gen Xer, so I listen to, there's a great one called 60 Songs that Explain the 90s for my Gen X uh, music self. That's great. But uh, the variety is what's really, what's really fun See, to I'm me. older than you are. I came from the 60s, and if I can remember them, I didn't live them. <laughs> All right, Rob, it would not be pilot's discretion if we didn't have ready to copy. Oh, gosh. This could be a little interesting because we're going to go back and forth, but let's give it a shot. Are you ready to copy? I am ready to copy. All right. Do you have a favorite episode of I Learned About Flying from That? You get to pick only one. Yes. And that's the one with Charlie Turner, who in an Airfax journal article that showed up on Sporty's Fast Five one Saturday morning. I sat in my green chair one Saturday and started to read this story of how Charles Turner was on a golfing outing with some buddies and witnessed a plane crash less than a hundred yards away from where he was and how he and his buddies tried to save the one guy who survived the crash. And Charles had to turn away and look him in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I got to go. Because the blue flame, the mm. blue, the gasoline was coming toward him. And his buddy said, if you don't get out of there, you're going to die. And he had to walk away. And the story of why he became a pilot and how it changed his life is probably the most compelling one. As a matter of fact, 
that was one that I got to you right away and say, I would like very much to read the story live. And uh, Charles, that, that might be the one. There are some others that are compelling in terms of the life and death, but that was a life changer for him, and he didn't even care about flying when he started. Unbelievable. I remember reading that story when it came into Airfax, and it really, it, it shook me. But there's, a, there's an incredible lesson there, so I know why you picked that. Let me, let me ask you, what's your favorite older episode of Pilot's Discretion, maybe before 2023? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, if I had to pick one off the top of my head, maybe Dave Hirschman. He was early on, maybe one of our first 10. He's a writer for AOPA, many people will know. And just one of the all-around good people in aviation. He's flown a lot of stuff, but he remains really humble. And he had, I don't know, seven or eight just fantastic takeaways. I remember, I think my first question to him is, there's a lot of new flight instructors. What's your advice for being a better flight instructor? And we talk about all killer, no filler. And he said, hush. And he went on to expand on that, but he had a one-word answer that summed it up, which was basically talk less. Your student can't handle all the commentary oh, you're throwing out. Oh, that's right. I do remember and, that. And he was just great. So if, if you're a new listener, it, go back. That's that's the first uh, first year we did it, and it's a great episode. That really kind of jives with what Charlie Turner has taken to heart, to heart in his flight instructing because people have different ways of learning. And he says the flight instructor has to discover that so that the student can learn more effectively. I got another for you. Let me Let me ask you. Because we've flown with some interesting people. Who is the most interesting person you have ever flown with? Oh, boy. I probably have not flown with nearly as many interesting people as you. Um, I, I Maybe not most famous, but most interesting for me, I got to fly in a Pilatus PC-12 with Jeff Skiles, the first officer from oh the my Miracle on the Hudson. Yeah, the and right a, seat with yeah, Sully. It's a long, tortured story, but I was in the left seat. He was in the right seat, and he wanted some Pilatus time. And we just went flying, and he had zero PC-12 time, and I had probably 1,000 hours at the time, so I was supposed to be the expert, as if I'm going to teach him a whole lot. Um, but we just went up flying, and I remember him flying the first approach. He said, let's just go fly an ILS approach, get my hands on it. And he, just as comfortable as can be, just sat there and crossed those needles like they were glued in place and flew it all the way down. I think I told him two things, you know, a couple power settings and a couple airspeeds, and bam. And talk about a professional, you know, low-key, humble guy, consummate professional, total command of the airplane at all times. It was it was a lot of fun. Sully got all the attention. Jeff Skiles was just as important. He was, and he went on to do a lot of great work with EAA. He worked there with their Young Eagles program. That's right. Uh, so great guy. How about you? Most, I'm going to say, I was going to say it's Frank Weiser, former Blue Angel. He's the guy that had, I flew with, actually I flew with Frank in 2010 in the back seat of Blue Angel number five in a practice demo. Wow. Where I puked my guts out <laughs> after, after the heavy aerobatics was over. I have never been so G'd up in all my life. But he's a guy that has taken that experience to be the guy that Tom Cruise put in the front seat of a Super Hornet and flew Tom Cruise for a week in the filming of Top Gun Maverick. And Frank is a guy that flies a number of different airplanes. He owns a Baron. He can fly anything that the, that the Navy would put 
in his path, but he also flies uh, a lot with the former uh, boss of the Blue Angels, Greg McWhorter, who flies his responsibilities as a corporate pilot is to take care of George Lucas's family's flying. And Frank will sometimes take that. But he's got a great family. They live um, in, in North Georgia on an airport. And he and I just have become really good friends over the years. And But there are a lot of guys I've flown with who have really helped me. Mm-hmm. But but when I think of guys who may be the most interesting and the most varied, that probably is Frank Weiser. His call sign was is Walleye. That's a pretty good one. I can't top Blue Angel. <laughs> How about favorite airport? You have a favorite airport you've ever flown into? That airports to me are such an important part of the interesting tapestry of aviation. And I'm wondering if there's one that sticks in your mind that you just you enjoyed or you feel happy when you land there. I think it might be Farmingdale in New York. Republic Airport, because they have the the uh, American Air Power Museum there, and that's where I fly every year as I go to the Jones Beach Air Show Memorial Day weekend. I used to drive that to that show and uh, been stuck on the Cross Bronx Expressway and driving through never-ending construction in Manhattan as I try to get there, and now I fly over it. Farmingdale is one. But coming home to Claremont is always nice because I'll just usually, if I'm landing 2-2, I'll say Blue 85 is going all the way to the end because I can taxi off and then my hang of tea hangers close by on the southwest side of the field. Good to be home. Yeah. Let me ask you, what's your favorite airport? Uh, I'm going to go outside the U.S. There's, I, there's a lot in the U.S. I like. Shout out to Urbana, Ohio, I-74. Great restaurant, grass runway. Can't well, beat it. That's because they have the best pie the in best all pie. the United Blackberry States. Blackberry pie, you've got to have some. Yep. But uh, I love Toronto, city center. My college roommate uh, from many years ago lives in Toronto, so I find my way up there every couple years. And the island airport there, it seems to change names, but the island airport there right on the water. It's like Migs used to be in Chicago. Oh boy. It's just a, it's a beautiful approach. You fly right at, you turn left base for the CN Tower, you're flying right on the lake shore, and it's really convenient to downtown. So that's a, that's an absolute blast of an airport. And if you're going to Canada, to me, it's a bucket list airport. You, John, have had a lot of different airplanes that you fly. You fly rotorcraft, you got a 44. You've, your family has a Pilatus, right? Mm-hmm. You fly the Citation from Sporties, you fly uh, the Aztec. Is there an, with all the planes you've flown, is there one that you think is underrated as an airplane to fly? This may not be original, but I think Cessna 182. It is such a do-everything airplane. Mm -hmm. It's easy enough to fly if you, especially if you grew up flying 172s, it's an easy transition but it's got enough performance. You can really travel in it. Uh, we have one at Sporties we use a lot for employee flying. And it's just such a great mix of easy to fly, affordable, maintain, good enough performance. I just, great instrument platform. So maybe that's not the sexiest answer, but I think that 182 is one of the all-time great GA designs. Stiff gear. Stiff gear. It uh, it little nose heavy, especially if you got a forward CG. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you do your homework on landing, but it's an honest airplane. How about you? That could be it, but I I have flown recently. I've got about 10 hours in the Vision Jet, 
and that was because of its avionics and because of the avi avionics in my airplane. It was other than the difference in where the knobs are, the the symbology and the the technology is very similar. So it was an easy airplane to fly. But I think the whole RV line is underrated. I agree. And having an RV7A and having it outfitted well and and having put hundreds of hours on that airplane. As a matter of fact, fully 25% of my flying hours have taken place in my RV7A. Wow. You know, I was flying not nearly as as consistently. The, the 182 that I used to fly was a slow one. It was an old one. I couldn't always trust the, uh, the ILS, couldn't trust the glide slope, and got myself in a pickle a couple of times or once doing that when I had to change, uh, uh, go missed twice mm -hmm. on a flight after four hours or three hours. Uh, but I think the 182 is one of those airplanes that's really good but i'm still i still think the rv line is just so so the the experiment is over i remember talking to jack pelton about that about the rv when he was talking about the rv12 becoming mm -hmm. available for commercial flight training and he said the experiment is over what a great way to say it it's so true they're 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 the backbone of ga in so many ways that yeah. maybe a lot of pilots don't get yeah all right, Rob, we're going to stick to our Shakespearean brevity is the soul of wit here. We got to keep it under an hour, but it wouldn't be <laughs> pilot's discretion if we didn't end with our question. Now, you've been on this show. You can go back to listen to Rob Ryder. Oh, I remember on. what it is. And, and I've been on your show and you've asked me this. So this is a little bit of a repeat, but maybe we can go somewhere differently. So you have one final flight. We want to know what are you flying and where are you going, Rob Ryder? Jill and I are in our RV. I said last time around the Statue of Liberty, the next one would be Mount Rushmore. That doesn't sound bad at all. Yeah. And you? Uh, same thing. You know, I've almost changed this question because everybody answers the airplane and the person and the location doesn't matter as much, which I think is so telling about aviation. It's about connecting people. So to me, it's probably me and my dad in the Satabria. I've probably, I've been flying with my dad for 30 years, 25 years, probably as a pilot, probably all of my life as a, as a passenger in some form. So it's probably me and him. In some tail dragger, maybe maybe the Satabri he owns, and we're low and slow, door off, 500 feet, Ohio Ugh. River. Smell, smell the trees. Smell the else. trees, watch the sunset. So that's probably it for me. That's cool. Rob, thanks for doing this. This is fun. It is. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for listening to Pilot's Discretion, brought to you by Sporties, training and equipping pilots worldwide for over 60 years. For more episodes and today's show links, visit sporties.com slash podcast. I'm John Zimmerman with Rob Ryder. We'll see you next time on Pilot's Discretion. <laughs>